Hi, my name is Kathy Collins, and I'll be co-hosting Airing Addiction with Lisa Blanchard. No one story is is the same as someone else's, but each journey is different. thing on the table. Having run substance use treatment programs for over 20 years, trying to make sure that we are welcoming to I love the idea that kind of having that exposure and that affirming place, even for one person, impacts that milieu, which then can impact maybe the broader recovery community, the community at large. I mean, I really love that. Um, Good morning, everyone. My name is Kathy Collins, and welcome to another episode of our Airing Addiction podcast. We have a couple of amazing guests today, and I'm going to turn it over to my host, who will introduce them, my co-host, Lisa Blanchard. Welcome, everybody. Thank you so much for joining. I'm really, really excited about this episode. And for the first time in, in a while with Airing Addiction, we actually have more than one guest. Um, and so we're really excited to have you both here together. So um, with us today, we have Sarah Cloud, who's the Director of Social Work at Beth Israel Deaconess. And she's really here to talk about a children's book um, that, that she wrote that I think um, everybody will be really excited to hear about, Mama Paca. Um, and Teresa Harmon, um, is the founder of To the Moon and Back, which is an organization dedicated to helping children born with in utero substance uh, exposure. And so I'm really, really excited to have you both here um, and have you both kind of sharing kind of, you know, the really exciting work that you've been doing, um, you know, supporting kids and families. Um, so, you know, and, and maybe Sarah, if you want to start, but can you just um, tell us a little bit about the 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 work that you do and kind of how that led you to writing the book that, you know, Kathy's showing us now. Yes. Good morning. Uh, thank you so much for having uh, me and it's such an important conversation to be having. Um, so as my role uh, in the hospital setting, I've been on the front lines of the opioid epidemic for many years. Um, in addition to the work in the, I do in the hospital, I also am really drawn to do a lot of community work. And through that community work, I think I've really met a lot of um, a lot of families who have um, have lost loved ones in the epidemic, and they've really have gone above and beyond to do some really amazing things. Um, people that particularly have inspired me is Mary Peckham. So Mary Peckham lost her son Matthew uh, about five six years ago to the opioid epidemic, and she makes these beautiful memory bears. And, um, and so when I was uh, really thinking about and looking for children's literature, particularly for the elementary school age, the young children, um, I really couldn't find anything to uh, that much that talked about addiction, um, but certainly none that and none that talked about um, grief as it relates to addiction. And my thought process of starting this, um, this journey started about two years ago when I was sitting around the table at a task force meeting waiting for it to begin with Joanne Peterson. And I was asking Joanne Peterson, are you aware of any literature um, in this area? And she didn't. And so, you know, fast forward a couple of years, um, I decided to go ahead and try to fill that void myself and was really also inspired by another local writer um, by the name of Laura Washington. And she wrote uh, A Sickness You Can't See. And it's a really great book, I think, about, um, about explaining what the disease of addiction is to children. Um, it doesn't go into the grief and loss associated with it. Um, and so that you know inspired me to, that I could do this myself and self-publish. And so um, 
Mama Paca, My Heart Won't Let You Go, uh, came about. And it is actually one of a four-part series. And it is about a little girl who lost her mom to the disease of addiction and how she uh, copes, um, works with her loved ones, her grandparents, how she's in therapy, and really wanted to normalize all that experiences. And um, she is comforted by an alpaca, a stuffed alpaca. This is Mama Paca. Made by Mary Peckham, um, who was making the memory bears. I went back to her and said, hey, can you make me an alpaca? Um, so uh, she joined forces with me. And um, the alpaca, Mama Paca, is made of the uh, clothing, the saddle and the legs of um, the mom's shirt. So it is a comfort animal. Um, of the... Yeah. Yeah, so it's a comfort animal um, and can accompany uh, the book or certainly the book uh, can stand on its own as well. And, um, and so we launched that uh, a couple of months ago and are in the process of writing a second book. It's called Papa Paca, The Kind-Hearted Warrior. So we have teamed up um, in the process of writing the second book with the uh, family of Sean Staunton. So Sean Staunton was uh, a leader and uh, beloved um, Boston Bulldog Running Club member. And um, almost four years into recovery, uh, he had a reoccurrence this past June um, and died. And um, so Papa Paca is telling his story and his journey both into addiction and everything he accomplished um, in his life. And so it's really also a celebration of his life, mm -hmm. as well as trying to help uh, his young son uh, cope um, and come to grips um, with the loss. There are quite a few themes in the book and throughout these series that I think is really important uh, to emphasize and, um, and to follow through. So I also have a website called mamapaca.com that outlines some guidance on how to introduce books, how to introduce the topic of addiction, um, how to set the stage for that, but also the themes throughout the series um, that would be helpful to reinforce um, as caregivers, as uh, family members, as therapists, as anyone who's involved in working with children around the disease of addiction. And so, for example, um, some of the themes are you're not alone, um, it's not your fault, you are loved, um, it's important to celebrate the love per the person that is lost, speak about them often. Um, and to, to family members, it's really important to express emotion around children and for them to see that um, expression of emotion and that they shouldn't be afraid to do that. So this just kind of highlights some of the themes um, that I've outlined both in, um, in this series as well as on our website. And those are two to come, the future of the series? Yes, two. So uh, Mama Paca's a little girl and her mom. Uh, Papa Paca's uh, kind-hearted warrior is little boy and his dad and then there'll be the combination of a little girl and her dad and a uh -huh. little boy and his mom. Um, it's such a wonderful book before we jump into Teresa's story but I was thinking when I read it how um, it's not morose at all it's uplifting which I thought was amazing because I didn't know what to expect from it. I mean, I do know a lot of children have lost their parents. It's just such a tragic thing. And so the story behind it was uplifting and celebratory and that it gives me chills to even think of it because, and I do love the idea of the memory animal because it gives you something to hold on to. 
um, I just, I, I thought, I think it is such a touching book. I, I love it. I am, um, I am particularly in awe of our, my illustrator. Uh, <laughs> she does such a beautiful job, both with color and animation and really bringing the story to life. And the expressions she gives this little girl is, is priceless. It's heartwarming. It really is. I agree. Yeah. So, and one of the really important pieces um, to me, and I think this is probably towards the hope that you're referring to, is that we often talk about how somebody uh, courageously battles with a disease of, uh, of cancer or, you know, some other medical disease, but we rarely, I think, historically have seen that in uh, the disease of addiction. And that's absolutely one of the themes. And that is clearly outlined in the book. Mm -hmm. um, the grandparents tell the little girl how, how um, proud they were of their mom, how brave she was when she was um, the sickness and how hard she fought. Right. And that's what, you know, the theme that I think I really kind of, I'm grabbing on to is really combating that shame and guilt that kind of comes along so in the stigma that just is so inherent in the way that um, you know people talk about addiction and and kids can absorb that too right they can absorb how people are talking about their their loved one their mom their dad um, and then internalize that and have some shame and guilt and this just is so much more positive right it's celebrating the the, the, the courageous battle, right? It's celebrating. And, and when you speak of Sean's story in your, in your, you know, upcoming book, you know, it sounds like you're going to talk a lot about his recovery story, mm -hmm. right? And all the work that he did in recovery, um, you know, and how much and, and how important that is and how proud, um, you know, his son should be of that work. Yeah, I mean, there's exactly and I, there are so many pathways to, through to addiction. I don't want to stereotype. Um, so in this first book, Mama Paca, um, you know, the mom's in a car accident, she's prescribed pain medications, that oh. was her pathway in. Um, you know, Sean's story is different. And, um, you know, he was kind of self medicating, um, and, you know, full of energy. And I think, you know, using substances kind of helps slow down his busy mind and help center him. Um, and I think they're all very important stories um, to be told. So there's not any one way in and there's not any one way out. Um, so just really be able to celebrate um, the individual uh, folks that are, are struggling with the disease of addiction and support their, their families as well. Mm -hmm. I love that um, sentence. I'm totally going to use that from here on out. Like, right, that's not, there's not one way in or one way out because it really celebrates the, you know, how individual everybody's um, path is and how individual their recovery path is um, and kind of supports, you know, all, all pathways to, to recovery. So yeah. I, I love that. And I talk a lot in, um, on my website about using age appropriate language yeah. um, and how important that is. Um, but I also want to note that I take on a couple of pretty big words and pretty big concepts in this series, and my hope is to do one or two um, per book. Um, but I think it's really important to set the stage and help reduce the stigma by talking about the disease of addiction as we would talk about in, in medical terms as we would talk about other diseases. Um, and so trying to put a little bit of that out in each time, and I know that it's far beyond I think a reoccurrence and what that is, it goes kind of far beyond elementary school age, but I think setting that tone and that language and giving common grounds 
um, so that as the child develops, the brains develop, their concept of a disease addiction develops, um, that they can keep com coming back to that and build on that foundation. Um, I, I think that's terrific. So it sounds like an amazing resource that we can actually turn families to as well. So you said it's mamapaka.com is the website? Yes, it is. Okay. Um, and some just to note, we will add all of these um, resources in footnotes to this podcast when we you know, publish it out there, um, because these are such great resources that you're giving us. It's such an untapped, I think, area, like you said, which is an amazing, amazing reason why you wrote the book. And um, things that you touched on before we get to Teresa's side of the story is um, the Boston Bulldogs running company, uh, running okay. company. Yeah, um, that's another great resource for um, healthy, holistic treatment, sort of to add that to your recovery story. So that's another thing we'll list, but that in and of itself is a whole um, group of people who are fighting addiction and helping each other through a healthy way. Yep. And you do not need to be a runner uh, or a marathon runner or anything to join. Um, there are plenty of walkers like myself and it's really for families as well. It's anyone that's been touched by addiction uh, and treatment providers. Um, so it's really just a, a very welcoming um, community. Yeah, that's wonderful. <laughs> Yeah, I always say you're a runner if you say you are, even if you walk most of the time. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a wannabe. You know, very I'm inspired by the you say you are, right? <laughs> it's all pathways to running, whether it's walking or not. <laughs> so to, to um, just to hear a little bit from Teresa, would you mind sharing a little bit about kind of uh, to the moon and back and, and kind of your story and how you um, started doing this, this work supporting uh, children? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so like Sarah, who is an amazing um, friend and mentor to me, and I'm, you know, just so blessed to watch all the wonderful work she does. So kudos to her. Um, I'm a clinical social worker. Um, I work for Brigham and Women's full time. Um, and, um, you know, I had background in early childhood education, um, early intervention. I worked for um, the Department of Child Children and Families down in Florida. Um, and so, you know, I had a pretty solid understanding of um, early childhood um, development and things like that. Um, and so back in 2013, um, my husband and I adopted um, our first child um, who was born opiate dependent. We got him, um, you know, straight from the hospital. Um, and so, you know, we came home um, with him and they kind of just, you know, told us like, good luck in life, um, you know, do the best that you can. Um, and, you know, we were, I was kind of prepared for what we were going to encounter, you know, as he withdrew from opiates, um, you know, for his first several months of life. Um, but there wasn't a lot of research. There wasn't a lot of support out there, um, you know, as he got older, when we were still seeing some um, differences in his development, mostly um, around sensory processing, um, executive functioning. Um, and, um, and so, you know, we decided that, you know, other families, if, if I had this background um, and I was struggling, that there must be other families out there that were struggling as well. Um, so we started initially with a support group um, meeting at the Plymouth Recovery Center. Um, and we started to get to know families and we started to talk about what we were seeing and we were all kind of seeing the same things in our children. Um, and so from there, um, 
you know, working with these families. We have um, now about um, 150 families that we're involved with here in Massachusetts and about um, 125 families down in West Virginia, where we also have a chapter. Um, because as you know, West Virginia has been particularly hard hit um, by the opioid crisis. And um, we were just really fortunate to hook up with a really great team down there. They were able to continue our work. Um, so with, um, you know, with these families input, you know, we started to develop additional services um, for families and children to support them. Um, so that's kind of how we got our start. Um, so we started the nonprofit in 2017. So we've had, um, you know, about three years now. Um, to my knowledge, there's no one else in Massachusetts that is doing this particular work. Um, we get contacted from around the country um, for families looking for answers. Um, because we're just, you know, we don't know what the long-term outcomes are just yet. Um, and it's to the moon and back.org. Um, it's the number two, the moon and back.org. Yeah. And that's so wonderful. And it's, you know, and, and tell me if I'm accurate, but you probably have a, a mix of, of families, right? So you probably have, you know, folks like in your position, either, you know, have adopted or have taken care of, you know, family members, um, children, but you also may have some parents in recovery, right, who are um, now parenting, you know, because they're now in recovery and they're able to, to unify and, and parent um, their children. So you probably are, you know, also supporting folks that are, that are in recovery, kind of also you know, do some of this, you know, challenging work of parenting in general, but also when you're seeing kind of some of these, um, you know, similar behaviors, um, you know, across the, the children. Yeah, absolutely. So we um, we have a little bit of everybody. We um, actually on our website, we have a really great video series from the perspective of um, a mom in recovery, um, a grandparent raising a grandchild, a foster adoptive parent, um, just talking about what it's been like raising a child um, born with neonatal abstinence syndrome. Um, one of my favorite projects that we've done. Um, but yeah. It's interesting to me, I guess the first thing that came to mind is you went home with your baby from the hospital straight away, and then it takes, a, I didn't realize, but it, it took a long time for the withdrawal process to happen. Were you equipped with anything to like, or was it like, here you go, good luck? I mean, to me, that's a little scary. Yeah, so it, it was. Um, and granted, so we um, we adopted my son out of Florida um, here in Massachusetts over, you know, the last several years that formed a really great collaborative through the Perinatal Quality Improvement Network, um, where, you know, A, they really try to keep um, family dyads together. They try to keep mom and baby together um, as much as they can. But they do a lot of work around, um, you know, decreasing um additional opiate exposure because we, you know, we wean these babies off with additional opiates um, and trying to steer clear of giving them meds that they maybe don't need. Um, and so, um, you know, um, one of the other projects that we worked on was um, we have these take-home boxes um, that uh, many of the hospitals in Massachusetts distribute, like Boston Medical Center, um, South Shore Hospital, BI in Plymouth, um, Mass General. So um, when a baby is born with, um, with NAS, they go home with this box of essentials that our families have kind of curated um, with items that they think are really helpful. So um, a particular swaddle um, to help with the sensory um, process, um, 
Dr. Brown's bottles, which um, our families find are really helpful. Um, what else is in there? You know, um, kids are born with hypertonia, which is a fancy word for just um, tight muscles. Um, and so getting them to kind of move their hands to midline is really important. So we have different um, toys in there to help um, promote that. Um, certain pacifiers that families, um, you know, think are, are really helpful um, as kids go through withdrawal. So he is seven today. Yeah, so I have a seven-year-old and we just adopted um, our second who is two, who is also born opiate dependent. Um, and they're, you know, it's interesting to see because their um, their presentation is very different. My son was very sensory um, involved and my younger is um, has some sensory stuff too, but is a bit more medical. Um, so. So it's two boys. Yep, two boys. Beautiful. <laughs> Congratulations, that's yeah. wonderful. And so one of the things having worked in opiate treatment for, for many, many years now at Spectrum is there, there doesn't seem to be a lot of information about which babies are going to have more difficulty, you know, mm -hmm. you know after, after they're born and which won't like, and it does, you know, we always kind of share this with moms on uh, medications for opiate use disorder. It's not necessarily related to what your, your dose was or what your, you know, it, it's just, it's very variable um, on the impact and there's not a lot of research. And it also sounds like there's just not a lot of, you're kind of trying to fill that gap qualitatively, right? There's not a lot of research for what behaviors we then see, um, you know, for neonatal abstinence syndrome as children age. I mean, um, is, is there any movement that you're aware of to try to actually do some research and studies that will help, um, you know, long-term? Kids? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so that's kind of two questions, you know, um, when mom is pregnant, what is the best medication? And then afterwards, you know, what is the best if, you know, babies need to be weaned with medication and what's best. Um, and there's a lot of studies looking at both. Um, Dr. Alicia Watchman um, up at Boston Medical Center, they're on the cutting edge of everything. Um, and they work closely with Yale New Haven on a lot of this research. Um, you know, there's so for um, when moms are still pregnant, um, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of factors to control for, like what you said, you know, um, timing of exposure, you know, uh, length of exposure, the medication, um, you know, from what I hear from doctors is that it's it's really hard to control for all of those factors, um, and so we may we may never know, you know, exactly, but um, but they are definitely doing the work. Um, Dr. Watchman is actually doing a study, um, and there hasn't been a lot of um, new information that's come out from it since last August, but she's looking at Vivitrol um, because, you know, Vivitrol being an antagonist, um, you know, babies that aren't born with NAS, um, and that's been shown um, to be pretty promising in a small study that she had done. Um, and then, you know, there's been some, some, um, some studies that have shown that Suboxone um, versus methadone may be better. Um, you know, um, Tufts is looking at, um, because there's a small amount of alcohol in methadone, they've looked at their own formulation of methadone where they've removed the alcohol content, um, which has shown some um, more improved outcomes as well. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of different things. There's an NIH study um, that's being performed currently. I think the um, results of it in relation to um, outcomes for kids um, will be re released in 2021, and they looked at kids over five years. Um, so that will be really interesting. 
Sorry, I think I just geeked out on you on um, all the research. Oh, that I, 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 listen, that's why I asked the question, right? This is the stuff I want to hear about, and um, you know, and and certainly is is really you know important to 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 my work um, because I've been working with pregnant moms, you know, for for decades now, and and one of the biggest things that I always tell pregnant moms too is that um, whatever is going to support you in your recovery and and help you the most is what is going to help your child the most, right? So if a medication isn't working for you or you continue to have a cycle of use and withdrawal, that's going to be a bigger impact, right? Um, than whatever choice you, you know you make for, for medication or your recovery pathway. Um, so whatever is going to support you um, you know, and wrap around you as much as, as possible is kind of the, the option to, to choose um, for sure. Absolutely. And one of these things that you hear, you know, um, when you go to the perinatal quality improvement network um, meetings is that, you know, if we're doing this right, if we're supporting moms in recovery, kids are going to get, you know, they're going to be born opiate dependent. Um, and so, you know, from there, we just need to figure out how to get them early services and to, to get them what they need. Um, because, you know, like I have a seven-year-old who, you know, he has some services, but he's really doing wonderful. Um, and these kids aren't, you know, they're not affected like they are with um, with alcohol, with fetal al alcohol spectrum disorders. Um, they're very, very intelligent. Um, and so, sorry, I get a little emotional when I talk about my kids. Um, they're just, they're incredible. Yeah, yeah. And, there, and there's stigma associated, right? Because people think of substance use, they think, you know, there's, there's probably even stigma, you know, on children, which is terrible. And that it's not necessarily the same impact as, as exposure, significant exposure to alcohol and that these kids are, are very intelligent, you know, and, um, you know, having to, to kind of combat um, that and show kind of, you know, what wonderful kids they, they are. Right. And that, you know, that has been one of the really great things about the book um, that we had put out, Sam, there's a superhero and a super life. Um, you know, it is an opportunity to have a conversation with these kids about their birth history, um, because I can say, like, as a parent, I was like, when, how, like, how do you present this to them? Um, you know, in my mind, it was going to be like when he gets into middle school and I was worried that, you know, maybe he would get into drugs and letting him know, you know, that he has this parental history so that he's careful. Um, but this, you know, the book, um, which is um, for elementary school age kids. And it's from the point of view um, of a little boy who's born with neonatal abstinence syndrome. Um, it talks about some of the long-term um, impact that he um, has experienced and how that affects him socially. Um, you know, by, by mistake the other day, because um, I wasn't really ready to have this conversation with my son, um, he had watched um, a video. We have um, Meg Donnelly, um, who's an actress. She's been, um, she's Addison on Zombies. Um, she's an American housewife um, as well. She's doing um, a reading. Um, it's actually posting today of our book to help raise awareness around NAS. Um, so he saw that and um, he had a lot of questions and it was really great. It was a really great catalyst to be able to talk about his birth history. And, you know, he's seven. So, you know, he obviously, we talked about it in a, um, to his age level, but it was, it was a really, it was a positive experience. And is he aware that his brother also, I mean, did that come up at all? They, so he can just be extra loving. I mean, I think you and your husband are amazing. I'm, and as a family, I 
my heart is like so happy for you because you have an opportunity. You're not only are you just a parent in general, but you're making a difference in the world. And I think that's a beautiful thing with being able to share the information. Uh, collectively, the information that the two of you have is remarkable. Almost like you should go on tour because <laughs> <laughs> the world needs you out there. There's so much. I mean, you, you mentioned Virginia or West Virginia, and I think Ohio, Southern Ohio, Kentucky. I mean, literally, if you have the means, I would imagine there could be a chapter everywhere in every state based on what's happening in the world right now. Absolutely. Um, and, you know, at this point, because of obviously, like any nonprofit financial constraints, what we try to do is lend our support in any way that we can. Um, you know, we want to encourage families that want to advocate in their state um, to be able to do something like what we did, or um, even, you know, to be to partner with us and be under, you know, our heading, however they want to do it, we just want to support them. And so one of the things that I'm so struck by, and I'm so glad to have you both on this podcast at the same time, um, and it also reminds me of a couple other folks we've had on, we've had Maureen Cavanaugh and Joanne Peterson on, that you, you know, encounter either there it's through your work or your personal life or some combination thereof, a need, right? A whole, you go to look for resources, support, help, and you don't find it. And so instead of being frustrated at the fact that you don't find it, you actually do something about it, right? Like you fill that gap yourself, um, which is is absolutely amazing, uh, and is you know exactly kind of what what needs to get out there is that you know if you see something that is a need, you know you can self publish a book, right? You can start an organization, um, you know. So um, you know, is there anything else that you either want both of you or either of you want to say about kind of what prompted you to take that? next step, right, to actually kind of solve a challenge or help or support yourself? Sarah? (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think that uh, while it while I stepped up to maybe write this book series, I it it was really through a significant amount of collaboration and inspiration. Um, I'm very, very grateful to to team up with, um, you know, on the webpage, it's meet the warriors of hope. So it's, um, you know, Mary Peckham tells her story. Uh, Kat, the illustrators in long-term recovery, she talks about her story and how, um, you know, uh, illustrating this book or just art in general really Mm. part of her healing and part of her recovery. And, um, you know, and I think uh, being inspired by Teresa and her husband, um, you know, in their journey, I think it's just, it's, it's, it all comes full circle. Um, we're all working towards the same goal um, to help um, and to kind of, we all step up in our own ways and feel inspired and, um, and that work comes out through that. So I feel very I would agree with Sarah. I mean, I think, um, you know, especially here in Plymouth County, we're like, we're so fortunate to have such a great collaboration. So, you know, when I started this nonprofit, I was met with open arms by, you know, everyone in this community. Um, So it just makes doing this work, um, you know, so great to have um, all these collaborative partners that are able to help us. Um, and it's just, you know, as a social worker, it's what social workers do. You, you fill the need. If you, if you see something that's not there, you create it. Um, but you know, that's not only for social workers, that's really for anybody. Um, and so one of the things that strikes me too, especially right now, right? Like we're all living through a really challenging time, really isolating time. Um, 
And, you know, do you have it like, you know, so any kind of support, whether that's through, you know, children's books, which kind of you, you both have been a part of kind of support um, all, all of the resources that that you can provide, you know, that that's something that's really helping to combat the isolation that we're all feeling right now, you know, where right now we're, you know, we're meeting virtually. I'd love to be sitting in a conference room doing this podcast with you all, but that's just not what we do now. Right. So, um, so how, you know, how else do, can we support, you know, kids and support families who are taking care of kids, um, you know, d- especially during the pandemic? That is a really great question uh, <laughs> and not an easy one. And I, my, my daughters are uh, 18 years of age and, and older, and um, I'm, in some regards, I feel a little fortunate because I, I have a tremendous respect for the balancing act that families are doing right now um, in terms of homeschooling and, and managing everything they have going on in their life. And um, so I think, uh, you know, trying to stay present in the moment and also, um, you know, just take small accomplishments, which we historically would have maybe thought of as small accomplishments as get like just getting through the day is a really big, a big accomplishment <laughs> right now. Um, and I think the more we can share uh, resources and information, I think not only is there not a lot of these books out there, particularly for the elementary school age, um, they're hard to come by. So uh, one of the pages on the website is linking and listing all of these groups, Sam, um, the superhero, uh, sickness you can't see, hey kiddo, I think is a little bit better known um, for a little bit older, um, you know, teens. Um, so you know, as I travel and engage with more folks and learn of any other additional books, I'd really like to link those on there so that they can just you know, spend more time, um, you know, reading or being with the child and less time trying to search for these resources. Uh-huh. They really shouldn't. Right. Have them in one spot. Like even some of the Sesame Street's done some some nice work. Yes. Around uh, around this, yeah. And I think one of the blessings of the pandemic, or the silver lining, if I could say there is one, is how much has gone virtual. Huh. Um, so I think, like uh, Teresa, I don't know if you want to talk to the your uh, support groups um, held at the Plymouth Recovery Center since they've gone virtual, really opened up the the geographics of people who could participate in this. And maybe made it a little bit easier because you didn't have to find childcare as much and, you know, and commute that you could um, just sit in your living room and, and turn on the, uh, the video camera and engage that way. So it's, I think it provides a, a cast a larger net um, geographically of people who can kind of um, participate where maybe it was a little bit more challenging before. Teresa, would you agree to that, that your audience has way expanded? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, I mean, when we were meeting at the Plymouth Recovery Center in person, I mean, a big piece of this is that, you know, you're asking parents to take an hour out of their night that are, um, you know, may have multiple children with some special needs. um, And that's a big ask. Um, I mean, so our groups were always kind of like, poorly attended um, in person. Um, And we already had a plan before COVID started to switch to a Zoom format so we could reach um, the entire state versus just the area. Um, And I would say like the the very first night that we um, started meeting, we had like 20 people, um, you know, right off the bat. Um, And that's kind of continued that we've um, been able to connect with more people. It's also allowed us to connect with people outside the state, which has been really great. 
um, you know, it has affected our ability. We do um, kids groups. Um, we haven't, you know, been able to meet in person for that, but we have done some, uh, you know, the drive-through events to still um, maintain that um, social interaction for the kids. Um, and, um, you know, educationally, um, I think it's been a challenge for our kids. Um, you know, a lot of our kids are on IEPs. Um, and so, you know, we've really beefed up our, um, we have an educational advocate. So we, um, you know, have her available if um, IEPs aren't being followed or if kids need some additional services um, while they're doing, you know, remote learning or hybrid learning. Um, and then um, we also have a, um, a children's grant um, which um, I think during COVID has been uh, um, used a bit more. So it's pretty open-ended. It's for um, any expenses related to um, a substance exposure diagnosis. So we've seen like an uptick in families that need it for some additional sensory stuff at home to help with calming um, computers and things like that uh -huh. to help with learning. So um, we've been able to, to try to um, change our services around a little bit um, to help. And so I wonder if it's similar to kind of what um, the experiences in the substance use treatment world of shifting to telehealth, right? There's So you're removing those barriers of travel, of childcare, all of those things. But there's also a piece of providing support in somebody's environment, mm -hmm. right? That you're actually kind of talking about coping skills when they're actually in their environment, not like in an office coming to a therapy session. And so I wonder if there's some positive impact instead of like, you, know, you talk about like having an evening group, for example, that's a really challenging time for any parent with kids of most ages, mm -hmm. let alone if there's any special needs, right? That kind of meltdown evening time, dinner time, bath, bed, that time frame, and trying to get out of the house during that time must be challenging. But then if you could have actual virtual support, really, when that's stressful for you as it is, I wonder if that's had a, a positive impact. Yeah, it's actually really sweet. Like we'll get on to our support group calls and we have, um, you know, parents pushing their kids and like their swing, um, you know, the kids are like bouncing on the trampoline while we're talking. <laughs> so it's, it's yeah. really cool to see, um, you know, it's, you know, you found your people. <laughs> Well, I love what I, what I hear both of you saying about, you know, I'm a woman in recovery and I've, I go both ways with Zoom being a really great thing and being a really uh, enough already as we all sit here on Zoom. But I think you both present so well the positive value of having the connection via Zoom that there's so much more. You can reach more people. You can do exactly what you just said, where the family engagement can be different. Um, and I think personally, I mean, I, I find it fascinating that you were planning it prior to COVID because it's like, who would have ever thought where we would end up? But what a great thing, because it doesn't need to end. I mean, people can go back to face-to-face -face recovery meetings, but I think there, personally, I think there will always be a place now for Zoom connections in every regard, because what we're doing is really opening up our world in a way we never knew we could. Absolutely. Yeah. So is there anything else that you kind of haven't shared that you think would be important for, for folks that are listening to this podcast to hear, um, you know, and anything that we kind of didn't ask enough about or touch on? I know, um, if I might, Teresa briefly mentioned uh, the video series that's on to the Moon and Back's website. Oh. I think that is probably 
aside from the book, because the book is Sam, this, uh, this superhero is very, very uplifting and very sweet and hopeful. Um, but the video series uh, for adults to look at and see and hear that wide range of experience, I will have to tell you, absolutely need some tissues. Mm. I don't care who you are, you're gonna, <laughs> it is going to elicit a lot of emotion. Um, I mean, those are really our superheroes, um, the folks that are really taking care of and nurturing our children uh -huh. um, who have been um, born exposed. So I'd highly, highly recommend, um, you know, taking a look at that if anyone hasn't done that um, yet. Those are all on the web, the organization website? Yeah, yeah. to the moon and back. Mm -hmm. And I'd also um, really encourage uh, people to, uh, who are on social media to follow both um, To the Moon and Back and um, uh, it's Malapaka's children's series. There's a lot of information that gets pushed out, both announcements, education, resources. Um, so I think those are really good, uh, you know, if you're, if you're on social media to really uh, to utilize those, those links as well. And, and fill our social media with kind of positive support right yes. now. I think we could all use a little more of that for sure. Yes. A little less politics, a little bit more hope. <laughs> and what, typically, uh, Lisa and I like to um, end our podcast by asking our guests um, what your, it could be, could be this, <laughs> um, but what our favorite books are, our books, not necessarily even a resource, a book or a podcast that is inspiring or insp inspirational to each of you on a personal level or a business level, however you would like to categorize it. But we, we kind of like to dive into your head and see what you, you know, find inspirational as people. You want me to go, Sarah? <laughs> you would. <laughs> Um, so obviously these books that we've already talked about, um, but for me as, you know, a therapist, one of the books that I think has the most impact and, um, for many of my patients, um, is Dr. Um, Vanderkoek's, um, book on trauma, um, which of course I can't think of the name of it right now. The Body um, Keeps the Score. The Body Keeps the Score. I think that that's a really important book, um, on so many levels, um, so I think that that would be my, uh, my pick. That's good. Yeah. Uh, this is a really great question. Um, I know I already talked a couple of times about a sickness you can't see, which I think is, uh, is great and maybe underutilized, but I think professionally and personally, I know um, Dr. Brene Brown is very popular these days, but um, I think the one book that really uh, was very helpful professionally and personally was Rising Strong. Um, where she really talks a lot about being vulnerable um, and being present. And I think uh, there's some really wonderful lessons and ways to connect both with others and with yourself um, through that book. I love that book. That's wonderful. Lisa, you have any parting questions? Uh, no, I mean, I really am just, I was so happy to have you both here. I mean, it's, you know, similar, but, but very kind of different, you know, um, you know, audiences, um, but really kind of that, that focus on supporting, you know, not just children and families, but by doing so supporting those in recovery and really that all of that normalizes, you know, the disease of addiction, right? And normalizes that recovery, um, you know, that recovery story um, and, and celebrates that, that recovery story um, and that it's not all 
negativity, right? It's not all, you know, the, the shame and guilt that everybody carries around and everybody carries on other people's behalf. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and so that's one of the things that we really um, try to do um, in this podcast to share these kind of positive um, stories that have a lot of hope. And I don't think we've ever had this podcast so far since Kathy and I have been running it where we have not said the word hope. And so, um, you know, uh-huh. I'm happy to, to hear it several but times. I do today. feel hope in this. I feel, I yeah. feel hope in the book. And I feel hope in each of you. My heart feels really excited to like have met you. Um, we both kind of geek out when we meet authors and people. So I was like totally, yay. And, and I didn't know your story, Teresa, but I had heard great things about you. So to hear your story just makes it that much even greater, I think. I mean, as human beings, it's inspiring to meet people who are making a difference in the world. And that's how I felt after talking to you guys today. Yeah, you are definitely uh, partners uh, in hope and warriors of hope. So we really appreciate everything you do to get this, uh, talking about the disease of addiction and getting these resources and information and, and hope out to everybody. So it's really wonderful. We're going to push it out. Believe us, we push it out on all the social media and that. And um, we're grateful for all of the resources you mentioned. I was frantically taking notes so that we can make sure that we push all that out as well. Thank you, guys. Thank you for all you do. Yes. Thanks, thank thanks for joining us. It was a wonderful episode. Thank you, guys. Thanks, Evan. Thank you so much.